Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It's a Sunday evening. It's August 15th, and I'm Scott Pienowski, one of your rotating hosts as we navigate through the teeth of fantasy football draft season in August. And today I am joined by Adam Levitan, the co-founder of Establish the Run. You can follow Adam Levitan on Twitter. He squatted on Adam Levitan before anybody else could. He didn't have to go the underscore route like so many of us poor saps. Mr. Levitan, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. And, you know, I think it's a great time to have you on before the season because I think one of your best skills as a fantasy player is you, like, like all of us, you're, you're clued in the news and you listen to what's going on and you observe and you know that so much of what we're told is BS. Coaches have no reason to tell us the truth. They mislead. They, they manipulate the media. And, and you're able to synthesize that and come up with actionable takes, you know, whether it's your draft takes, DFS takes, um, player prop takes, team prop takes. I, I know you were on the Trey Lance to go number three to the Niners. I don't know how you came up with that. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we talk about some of the news, of, or if it's even worthwhile news of the last few days, then we get some of the more specific stuff. I don't even know if this is an answerable question, but how do you get good at that? How do you know when so much of what we're told is just misleading or it's not meant to be honest? How do you know what's actually meaningful and what isn't? Yeah, I think, you know, actions are going to speak louder than words. And, you know, all this you know, beat writers are great, and I appreciate the work that they do. Uh, beat writers saying that X player is performing really well in practice, I mean, means absolutely nothing to me. Like, it means, I mean, literally nothing. You know, if a coach says that a player is playing well, it doesn't really mean much. If a coach has a player is playing poorly, maybe it means something, but there could be underlying motives there. Also, it's really actions. Did they add someone to their backfield and free agency or the draft did they give this guy reps with the first team unit and that's really what i'm looking for it's really just opportunity because you know when you're not betting on opportunity you're betting on speculation and it's really hard to win like that in the long run and so um understanding which guys are going to get the opportunity not just who's going to be on the field but how they're going to be used when they're on the field i think is the only thing that matters pretty much Let's talk about one of the most interesting offenses in the NFL. The Cowboys said that the second Dak Prescott MRI was, you know, business as usual. He's making progress. He may practice this week. He may play in the second preseason game. We know at their best, the Cowboys can be one of the best fantasy offenses. They, they could be the number one fantasy offense if everything clicked. And they were on pace to do something historic last year between a really bad defense, a team that can play well when they're behind, all sorts of receiver talent. They might have the best receiver room in the NFL. They still have a decent running back. 
and all, just all sorts of talent there. It looks like a perfect storm. Dak gets hurt. Now he's coming off a major injury. He's had kind of a stop and go summer. Where are you at with the Cowboys right now? Yeah, I'm not worried about Dak's health. You know, I mean, I think we get wrapped up in this and don't realize how far away we are from week one. And so I think Dak's going to be fine. You know, Jay Glazer almost never misses. And Jay Glazer said Dak is going to be fine. You know, will they have the three offensive linemen for the whole year that they were missing last year? Hope so. I'm skeptical Tyron Smith can stay healthy for a whole year, but even if they can get 12, 13 games out of him, I think that would make a huge, huge difference. And yeah, I'd be careful about extrapolating their first five game stats across the 17 game season because they were down like 30 points in four of those games. I mean, that was, it was crazy how far behind they got in those games. I think the defense will just be naturally like they can't be any worse than they were in those first five games. And so they used, I think, eight draft picks on defensive players. I think they'll be better on defense. So I, you know, Dak's attempts, I think are going to scale down. Um, but yeah, even so they can still be one of the best offenses in the league. I think it's crowded. You know, I, I, I've been taking CD lamb in round three. I have not been taking CD lamb in round two. And I think in some tougher formats that, you know, people are playing online right now, CD lamb is going in round two and that's a little rich for me, but I do take CD lamb in round three. I do take Amari end of round three, early round four. And, you know, in some, I think, softer formats, you can probably get Michael Gallup in round eight or so because he's going like round six or round seven right now. And that's a little rich for me, too. But overall, you know, I, I do like the Cowboys for sure. At what point in the first round do you think Zeke makes sense? Yeah, I, I have no problem taking Zeke as high as four. I, I mean, dude is going to score a ton of touchdowns. I mean, he's just going to score so many touchdowns for this team. And there's so much talk about Tony Pollard, you know, and we like Tony Pollard. I think Tony Pollard is a better option for the team. There's just no chance whatsoever the Cowboys front office and coaches allow Tony Pollard to like steal meaningful work from Zeke. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And so I think Zeke as high as four is fine. Yeah. I think Pollard at best is just a stash and hope play. I don't even think he's going to have standalone flex value. I don't, I don't see a world where he can get a reliable, consistent 10, 12 touches a week. They're going to play to the contract and Zeke, even if he's not the player he came into the NFL as he, he's still a pretty good player. I, you know, we, we all know they kind of gave him a silly contract, but they're going to play to that contract and he's going to get the ball plenty. So I, I think in the middle of the first round, he's a good pick. And I, even at three or four, I, I think this year the, the draft gets interesting at three because McCaffrey and cook are the consensus one, two everywhere. And then check it over at the uh, establishment when they do a bunch of podcasts, they did a bunch of discussing about what they thought of the first round and how you would draft the first round. If you had an early pick, I thought that was a really good podcast. So uh, depending on where your draft slot falls, uh, check out that stuff and, and tailor it to your taste. I forget what your answer was on this. I know you talked about this on that podcast. If you were in a league where you could pick your draft slot, uh, what would you like to pick in a stand in a season long draft if you could draft anywhere? Yeah, I, I think the edge most years. I mean, and the data shows like that edge most years is first overall. This year, especially though, like in our auction values, we have Christian McCaffrey thirteen dollars or something crazy ahead of Dalvin Cook. And not only that, if you're if you're in a snake draft. When it gets back to you in round two, you know, you have that teardrop after Kittle and Waller. I think you have a teardrop after Metcalf, Justin Jefferson types. And so, you know, to start that way, you know, to start drafts like, you know, McCaffrey, Waller, Justin Jefferson is is exciting to me and probably the ideal way I'd want to start. So I would pick one for sure. Yeah, I forget if it was you or Mike Leone, your colleague, who suggested that we may live in a world someday where third round reversal becomes the standard. It's such an advantage to pick early because the player you're getting at 212 or at 301 is so much better than the player at the end of the third round. That seems like where the talent is clustered, where it starts to drop off. So that seems like an unfair advantage to me. 
Oh, yeah. Third round reversal should be standard, I think, if you're playing in like a competitive league, for sure. So let's talk about Trey Lance. We saw a bunch of rookie quarterbacks make their quote-unquote debuts. Again, whatever preseason means. You know, Trey Lance, he was he kind of won Twitter with that that boot action. He threw the, the long touchdown pass. He was only 5 or 14 on completions, but there were some drop passes. He also threw a couple of messy passes in that stint. Whatever it means, not all the starters are playing yet. Now, again, you called... Ahead of time, you you had Lance going to the 49ers. And you've also, I think you're on record as saying that you think Lance was an overlay at something like plus 350 to start opening day. You think it's maybe a coin flip. I think you're really good at deciphering Shanahan speak. So uh, where do you think the Niners are with their quarterbacks? Who do you think is going to start week one in a season-long league? Would it make sense to draft Trey Lance even if he wasn't starting right away? Yeah. You know, it's it's complicated. You know, there's absolutely no reason for them to put any pressure on a kid who hasn't played division one football ever who ha- he didn't even play last year. Like why would they ever come out and say that Trey Lance is going to start week one, or we hope Trey Lance starts week one. They it's in the, it's in the kid's best interest for them to continuously say, no, Jimmy Garoppolo is a star. Jimmy Garoppolo starts. So that all that stuff is meaningless to me. You know, I thought Trey Lance had four passes dropped on him, but man, I mean, he's just so much more aggressive vertically. Obviously he's so much better with mobility. His arm strength is just, it's not even a question. He's like the better option. They do have a very soft schedule, you know, the 49ers do, and they have a soft schedule to start. And so I could see if Jimmy Grappolo did start week one, they start winning, you know, they're 2-0, and they're 3-0 and or whatever. Then it's like, well, how can we bench Jimmy G, even if it's not him? But Kyle Shanahan's a sharp guy. I think he'll, he'll you know, look at it in a vacuum. And so, yeah, I, I would call it a coin flip right now. Who's going to start week one? And obviously to take plus 350 on that is just printing money. And so, you know, I, I think coin flip right now makes sense. And that's how I would have it right now. Yeah, a couple of really interesting things about this team. When an NFL franchise takes a quarterback at number three, usually that meant they're in the middle of a rebuild. You know, we're hoping that the, maybe they'll be competitive in a year or two. And this year is kind of a write-off. And, you know, see so what those teams often do is look for the safest spot to onboard their new quarterback. They don't want to get his confidence beaten out of them. They don't want him to get just destroyed early in the season. The 49ers are the rare team that had that early pick. Of course, they traded up to get that pick, but they're a Super Bowl contender. They're one of the five or six teams right now. I think they'll look at the season and say, we could go all the way. And they were in a Super Bowl not that long ago with Jimmy Garoppolo. I've, I've long said that I think Garoppolo is one of the most overrated players in the NFL. But what I mean by that is I just think he's a, he's a you know average, maybe slightly above average quarterback. I don't think he's like a face of the franchise guy. I mean, he's certainly handsome, but I never thought of him as like an MVP candidate or anything like that. So the, the Niners are in a weird spot where they're thinking about this year. You know, most teams draft the early quarterback. You know, the Jets are hoping they're, that Zach Wilson will be good in a couple of years. They're not thinking they're going to go to the playoffs this year. The 49ers have designs on the playoffs. So I think that kind of messes up the calculus of when he might play, when um, Trey Lance might play, which is different with a, with a team that's just generally rebuilding and can look for us. You know, I, the Bears are going to look for it. They don't want to play. I don't think Justin Fields week one and have Aaron Donald you, you mash him into the turf. It doesn't make any sense to me. You also mentioned the schedule. And generally speaking, uh, 95% of the time, I think looking ahead to schedule, I, I like to look at the September schedule, but looking ahead to playoff schedule, I normally would just laugh that out of the room, say that's silly. But I've seen you tweeting about this and you made such a great point. The Niners end of season schedule, it looks like Kyle Shanahan was allowed to pick his opponents. They're just playing soft team after soft team after soft team. So to me, I think that's a donkey move generally to look ahead at the schedule, but I can't help but but look at this Niners schedule. I think they're going to be an 11, 12, 13 win team. I, I'm still getting used to 17 games. It just doesn't flow off my tongue very easily. But I think it's a winning team. I think it's a smart 
offensive designer. I see all sorts of skill talent I have, you know, that I want to get my hands on, although I'm not really sure how to decipher it all the time. But man, I feel like a lot of league winners, I know that phrase is, is passed around kind of cheaply these days, but I feel like a lot of league winners could be on 49er rosters in part because that end of season schedule is just a dream. Yeah, they play Bengals, Falcons, Titans, Texans uh, to close out the fantasy season. And so they avoid the interdivision second games and, you know, tons of data out there. It's very clear that your second time through the division is typically lower scoring. They get no division games in weeks 14 through 17. And again, Bengals, Falcons, Titans, Texans, you can make a case. These are four bottom tier, bottom 10 defenses in the entire league. And so, yeah, I expect fully by that time, Trey Lance will be starting. The running back situation will be sorted out, I would presume, by injury or play or whatever it is. And so I would agree that there's going to be some awesome, awesome plays then. I mean, you know, it is what it is. My bets are on Sermon, Ayuk, and Lance. Uh, but, you know, it could also be Debo. It could also be Mostert, you know. And so it, it, it just kind of is what it is. Would you be willing to draft George Kittle at his current ADP? Yeah, I, I think I take Waller first, but I have no problem taking Kittle you know, at that two, three turn spot uh, whatsoever, you know, and it, it, just from a strategy standpoint, even if you think George Kittle's targets are going to go down or, or whatever you think, when you're taking Dallas Goddard and Noah Fant and guys like this and trying to put them up against Kittle and Kelsey and Waller, like the projection advantage you're going to have going into every week by having one of those top tier guys is just so strong. Some of the other quarterbacks who uh, got their first taste of NFL action, Trevor Lawrence was six of nine passing 71 yards. Uh, Zach Wilson, I thought, looked okay in a brief stint. Justin Fields did get a rushing touchdown, and they left him in there to throw 20 pass attempts. Mac Jones was 13 of 19, but only for 87 yards. Some of the press reports were pretty favorable, but, I mean, he was averaging four yards an attempt. I'm not sure how much preseason you watched in week one. I don't know if you played any DFS preseason week one. You've been famous for being a plus EV EV guy with that. Uh, did you get a chance to see any of these guys play? Do you have any general week one preseason takeaways? Like, again, look, I'm, I'm not here. I'm not going to have an hour with Adam Levitan and, and waste his time talking about third string running backs who played on a Saturday night. But uh, do you have any general takeaways from what we might have seen in the last 48 hours? Yeah, well, of course, I was playing preseason DFS. I mean, uh, you, if you weren't playing, you hate money. So, so yeah, I mean, I was playing preseason DFS. Uh, it was great. I did watch some fields because he was on an island game and a showdown game and and, you, know, you don't typically get to see, you know, 30, 35 snaps out of guys, uh, frontline guys in the first uh, preseason game. And so, you know, it's just so obvious now that in fantasy, if you're going to compete, you need a rushing quarterback. Like there's no way you can beat the Kyler, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Mahomes type teams uh, with a pocket passer. So like it's you need if you have Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, you need them to throw like four touchdowns. Uh, and you know, that's hard to do and they can do it. Sure. It's hard to do. So I've been taking Lance and fields a ton. I thought fields looked awesome and exactly what everybody expected. He's just like so fast getting out of the pocket. Everybody knows he ran a four, four. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been taking fields, Lance and Taysom Hill, just like give me the guys who run and, and I'll try to figure it out, uh, later. I mean, those are to me, the clear late round quarterback options. And I'm sure that Lance and fields are going to start going higher now based on, uh, their usage and kind of their highlights or whatever from how they played over the weekend. So is it safe to say, and I know seasonal is not your heaviest thrust of what you play for fantasy, but in a seasonal league, if you and I were co-managing a team, you'd be like, look, Brady, Rogers, uh, Joe Burrow, you know, I guess maybe he could run for 250 yards or something. But I mean, the guys who Matt Stafford, the guys who do it mostly with their arms, you'd be like, hey, you know, hands off on these guys. I, I need somebody who gives me some upside with their with their rushing ability. 
Yeah, so I, I think it's been a big change. I, I mean, you, the guys that have come into the league that can run, and we, there used to be one, you know, like the first time I ever did anything in fantasy was the year 2000, and I won with Dante Culpepper, ESPN's like overall championship. And for the guys who are as old as I am, you probably remember Dante Culpepper, like now Dante Culpepper is like the only quarterback who ran. Now you're, you're competing against six, seven, eight guys who could run for 50, 60 yards and two touchdowns in a game. So yeah, I'm out on the pocket passers. I mean, you can make a case for some of these middling guys like Tannehill, uh, I think can run a little bit and be really efficient. And I think that's okay. But where the, the ADP gap was, and maybe this changes as the ADP uh, gets tighter, but where the ADP was with Lance and Fields going so much later than Brady and Rogers and Burrow and those guys, you know, I thought that was just an absolute no brainer. If they start going in the same range, I think that's a different story. But yeah, for now, I mean, you can get two, three, four round difference. It's it's a no brainer to take the rushing guys. It also underscores something I, I know I've talked about with Evan Silva and I've talked about with you before is how advantageous it can be to get in early on drafting before the market for the ADP kind of corrects where you'll have guys who are mispriced where the market hasn't figured out. I mean, if you're, if you're going to wait in fantasy until something's obvious to everybody, then you're going to lose all the edge and the market's going to correct that. So it's kind of like when the new NFL lines come out on a Sunday night, the professionals go attack those lines. And if they if they put off a line, you'll buy a point or two, they're going to iron that out and bang at it until it's made to a good, you know, a reasonable number that the public has to deal with. You're going to, you're more likely to find something exploitable the earlier than you, that you draft. And look, I know guys are going to get hurt. If you had an early draft and you end up with cam Akers, that stinks, but I still think it's worth it because you get to attack ADPs that haven't crystallized yet. And there's just a lot of mistakes that you can take advantage of. Yeah. And, and for sure, I agree. I mean, you, you know, CD lamb was going in the fifth round, like when best ball drafts first are opening and you could get CD lamb in the fifth round. I mean, it's just absolute smash. And there were a ton of them like that. There is every year. And, and, you know, people are going to say, Oh, what uh, I had cam Akers that that sucks or, you know, whatever it is, like everybody had the same opportunity. Like you didn't actually lose any EV. It was just, you were the one who got unlucky. You know, it's like when you play credit card roulette to see who pays for dinner, everybody actually paid in EV, but only one person actually ends up paying. And so it can be tough for people to wrap their heads around that, but, but you know, it should be uh, pretty straightforward, I think. So when you put, I, I get an idea when you play credit card roulette with dinner, you're probably seeking out the waitress ahead of time. Like Michael Jordan probably would say, look, I, I got this credit card. It's a different color than everybody else's. You're not picking that one. You know, we'll, we'll settle up in the parking lot. Is this, are you playing that game on the up and up or is there uh is there some chicanery we should know about? No, of course. Everything's on the up and up. All you have in this world is is your honor. So, so yeah, I, I, it's always on the up and up. Let's talk about what's going on in Miami. Again, I you know don't want to overreact to, to summer stuff, but Malcolm Brown did get more snaps than Miles Gaskin. I've been trying to get my hands on this offense. You know, Tua, I thought, was a little bit of a disappointment last year, but, man, the guy came off a major injury. They've certainly done everything they can to help him, at least from the skill talent standpoint you know they, they brought in a couple of impact guys one through free agency one through the draft will fuller they get jalen waddle who i think someday is going to be a star i was hoping gaskin could be kind of a affordable running back too and, and could you know he's a decent receiver he had decent yards per target last year but brown did get more touches i don't know if that means anything or not what do you make of the miami backfield and also are you pro tua are, are you against tua are you there's a lot of receiver talent in, in this offense so I, just give me a sense of where you are with the dolphins right now yeah, the, the Malcolm Brown stuff was weird. I mean, I've been saying all offseason that coaches love to give the ball to Malcolm Brown, and I'd be real careful with Miles Gaskin's projection. And you know, I know there's been so much talk this offseason about the quote-unquote dead zone for running backs, and you know, it gets to be a buzzword, and everybody says it. Basically, what it means to me 
is that the project these uh, running backs in this zone are relying on volume that is much more fragile than people think. In other words, Malcolm Brown could come up, take 30% of the work away from Miles Gaskin or 40% of the way to work from Miles Gaskin. And all of a sudden, he's just total dust. Whereas that's never, ever, ever going to happen to a wide receiver. I mean, if you take Tyler Boyd or Jamar Chase or Odell Beckham or Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel or whoever, like nobody, no Malcolm Brown is coming and taking their job. It's just not happening. And so in these middle rounds, I always lean wide receiver for the first time in my life I'm taking quarterback in round six and so I was never it's not that I had a problem with Miles Gaskin I was just never taking a running back over a wide receiver a quarterback in that range how will it shake out I mean Malcolm Brown like he just looks awful out there you know and I'm no scout I don't try to be a scout I think that eventually Miles Gaskin will rise but Malcolm Brown's going to be used at the goal line for sure Malcolm Brown's going to play plenty maybe on third downs it's just you know, Miles Gaskin would not be a, a, a pick for me. Talk to me about Tua. What, what do you think three years from now, we'll be talking about a guy who's like a MVP candidate pro bowler, a guy who's a capable starter, or more like, oh, looks like Miami has to draft another quarterback. Yeah, you're getting out of my wheelhouse here because this is a talent evaluation, right? And I really try not to evaluate talent. I thought Tua looked awful last year. You can make an excuse that he was coming off a serious hip injury, that it was a COVID year. He didn't really have uh, any time. I don't know, man. I really don't know. I have not been taking Tua with my late round quarterback picks uh, at all. I don't really have much Will Fuller. I have a little Devontae Parker when he was super, super cheap. I've been taking Waddle. So I guess I'm out. I don't know. I guess based on that, I'm out. I'm out on Tua, I guess. If you were going to go cheap uh, for a quarterback, let's talk about the position really quickly. Uh, who, who are some of the guys outside the top 12 at ADP that you might like at QB? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's Lanson Fields and, and Taysom. Uh, I think. And then if you really want to get uh, thin, I don't know if Ryan Tannehill's out. Ryan Tannehill's not thin, by the way. I mean, Ryan Tannehill's a great pick and he might be inside top 12 ADP now. If you really are desperate, I think Baker Mayfield or Daniel Jones are okay. Daniel Jones has a good supporting cast. If Jason Garrett wasn't there, I actually think that uh, Daniel Jones would be fine. And, and Daniel Jones is much better runner than people realize. And Baker, I just think, you know, I think Cleveland's going to be very good and and he has very good offensive weapons and coaching and he could be really efficient this year but but yeah you know uh it's always fields and lance i mean it's just just all summer just fields and lance every time i'm going to put a bookmark on there because i want to talk about the browns in a minute but let's start with the giants as we talked to adam levitan one of the co-founders of established the run just one of the sharpest guys in the fantasy industry recently on etr in, in part of your excellent draft package which is i subscribe to it and i think it's great i think i think it's a, a tremendous value plus you get some offers that come tied to it i mean it basically pays for itself i think you're making a mistake if you don't subscribe to it you recently had and i apologize for not knowing the name of the author off the top of my head you you can supply it for me you had a bunch of offensive line rankings yeah from brandon thorne yeah yeah did a great to brandon thorne that's right and one thing that struck me is how many players that we're spending first and second round draft capital on who are tied behind really bad offensive lines and I mean, start with Christian McCaffrey. He's got a bad line. You know, I don't know the Vikings line is going to be that great. You know, there are a few teams, and the Browns are one of them, that do have a strong offensive line. But uh, the Giants, I look at a team, you tweeted about this recently. Look, they got a bad line. They have a quarterback who's got horrible pocket awareness. I don't know anybody who thinks anything good about Jason Garrett as a play caller or an offensive designer. When Garrett get all mad at the media about how they addressed him at the press conference, I just felt like you can just cross. If you had any reservations about Jason Garrett, you just cross him off right now. This guy's more worried about how he's addressed by media members for 10 minutes a week than he is about, you know, setting up his offense to succeed. 
So I look at this team and I'm like, you know, I don't want it. I'm nervous about Barkley. I, I know he, you know, you're a PSU guy. I believe you went to Penn State. Yep. Um, I, my, my dog is named Fenway, but every once in a while when he barks at the neighbors too much, I call him Barkley. It's, it's meant to be said endearingly, but I feel like it might be ironically this year. I look at Jones. I don't know. I can't think of a quarterback who had lousy pocket awareness who fixed it later in his career. There's probably some examples of it, but I can't think of one. So I look at this Giants offense. I'm like, you know, I can't draft Barkley. I think Galladay has become kind of an easy fade and his ADP has crashed so much that it's almost to the point where I'm, I'm almost willing to be a contrarian and just flip on it. But I was always out on Galladay. Uh, you know, how quickly will he build up rapport? He's a, somebody you can't really separate. He needs rapport with Daniel Jones. Although I do see Jones's, if you're going to get him cheap, it's super flex league, a late round quarterback because he can run. I get that. But I'm worried between this offensive line, between Jason Garrett and between a quarterback who just can't protect the ball and, and just can't seem to sense the rush. I'm afraid, even though I see a lot of good skill talent here, I'm afraid the Giants could just be a big miss for fantasy. Yeah, it's a concern. The entire offense can crater. Um, uh, Brandon has Giants offensive line 30th overall out of 32 teams. I mean, I'm not worried about Saquon's knee as much as I am about Jason Garrett just being a disaster. The thing is, on Saquon, like, he fits the profile of the running back that, like, we want. Like, he can catch 80 balls in a season. And, like, when you have access to that, you have access to being the number one running back on the year. And so, you know, it's unlikely, but at least he fits the profile of it. So I know Saquon is is tough to click on. You know, I still think I click on him at, like, 12, 13, 14. I know it's risky. Um, and maybe if I was playing in like one home league with my buddies, maybe I wouldn't do that. But, you know, it, when you're building a portfolio, I think Saquon 12, 13, 14 is fine. Yeah, Galladay, you can get Galladay in like the ninth round now and crazy stuff. And people have just completely given up on Galladay already. I, I'm, I'm fine to bet on talent there too. But I understand. I mean, they could completely crater. I mean, completely, completely crater. It's definitely possible. Refresh my memory. Was it? Kamara, who was the player you were leaning on if you had the third overall pick? No, I actually, I'm actually out on Kamara where yeah, he's going. Too. I mean, I take Kamara, you know, seven or eight, but he almost never gets there. And okay. so I have worries about Kamara for sure. I, I've been taking Derrick Henry at three mostly. Yeah, it's funny. I, again, I, I don't know if this was an original thought. I might have heard overheard this from you or Silva and just kind of co-opted it accidentally as my own. I think Sean Payton this year is going to have the Bill Belichick year last year where so many things have gone wrong personnel-wise. That he'll be if the Saints go nine and eight with the current shape of their roster. I think Peyton's done an amazing job, and they don't know who the quarterback is. They have a wide receiver room that looks really even if Michael Thomas were healthy and happy, and we know he's neither one of those two two things right now. I'd be down in their receiver room. I I'm not sure that situation can be fixed. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. I think there's going to be games where both of their quarterbacks play, and I've gotten nervous with Kamara. And it sounds like we're in agreement because you're not taking him at three either, but. I feel like when you take a first round running back, you're drafting the whole infrastructure of the team to some extent. And I just look at the Saints and I see a lot of crumbling infrastructure. I mean, yeah, you want to take Adam Troutman late. That's great. I guess Callaway's had a pretty good camp. You know, maybe he could be their number one receiver. So, you know, there's a time and a place for that. But for the first time in, I don't, I don't know, 15 years, I don't, I'm not excited to buy into a Saints offense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, Saints have the NFL's number one offensive line. Saints have, Sean Payton, who has a ton of time to scheme for not having Michael Thomas and not having Drew Brees. But, you know, so much of Kamara's game is tied up in catch rate and in volume of catches and in goal line chances. Well, Taysom's going to take goal line chances. You know, they are going to not be in the red zone as much. 
Jameis and Taysom will not throw as much to running backs when they do the completion percentage will be lower than it was with Breeze. And so, yeah, and, and this whole team could create, I mean, without Michael Thomas, you know, you can make a case the second best offensive player on the Saints right now is Latavius Murray, you know, with the first obviously being Kamara. And so they're a really bad offense outside of the offensive line. And so, yeah, I, I just think that Kamara at three or four overall is just way too rich. You know, I, I, in full PPR, I can see it. In half PPR, I've been taking him. It, it never gets to me, so it doesn't even matter. But I would take him like seventh or eighth or something like that. I currently have Derrick Henry third or fourth on my board. I forget where it is. And it, it really isn't doesn't matter anyway because you know, a draft board, you know, the draft list you see on Yahoo, the draft list you see on ETR, that's a suggestion. That's a list of names, the way they should be in the rough order when you draft and where they should maybe be tiered. You have to make a lot of those decisions in the actual moment. Now, somebody who's against Henry might say, well, wait a minute. He's had all this workload. He doesn't catch the ball that much. There's been changes in the offense. The coordinator is gone. I know they did hire within the organization. So you wouldn't think that many things would change. Uh, what do you say to the person who might say, well, wait a minute. How can I draft it? I'm in a full PPR league. How can I draft Derrick Henry? I'm in a half PPR league. Derrick Henry's going to catch 23 passes and he's been run through the car wash. I, you know, I don't want to get in on that. What do you say to that? Yeah, I, I think that sometimes and i i've been adamant that trying to pick out liars is a really really bad idea because you're all you're wrong so more often than you're right i understand that you know somebody can say i knew tyreek hill was going to be you know the first guy that's 510 175 to just you know go completely nuclear and and maybe that's great i've come around to the fact that tyreek hill and derrick henry are just absolute outliers and so a lot of the stuff about usage and carries and he can't keep you know, averaging five yards a carry on 400 touches. Like, I mean, the dude is just such a freak outlier. And so I hate making that argument because I think it's a really bad and slippery slope to go down. But uh, on Tyreek Hill and Derrick Henry, last year I played them a ton in DFS and I had never really played much Derrick Henry at all. And it was just, I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, they just, they just do things that just like are, are completely mind melting and that nobody else can do. And so I've come around to the fact that those guys are outliers. What do you make of the receiving room? I think a lot of people were excited about a bust out year for AJ Brown. I mean, he's already been great, right? But he's been somebody who's been great on seven, eight targets a week. What, what if he found a team that would say, Hey, you got to have 10 targets coming off the bus. I was hoping that would be the case this year. Now they get Julio Jones into his thirties and you know, Julio Jones kind of a little bit of a polarizing player. I mean, he's already on, I think he's a Hall of Famer. If he walked away tomorrow, I'd put him in the Hall of Fame. But he's got a pretty modest touchdown count for his career. He's a guy who, even when he plays most of a season, I feel like he's hobbling off the field every other play. I mean, I, you know, sometimes the worst thing you can do is watch your own players and you have to sweat and be nervous with them. Sometimes it's better to take a step back. What do you make of this passing game since they acquired Julio? Did it affect your opinion of A.J. Brown? Do you think you'll be drafting under or overweight on either one of these guys? Just give me a sense of their passing game. Yeah, not... I didn't, I thought the market's reaction was too drastic on AJ Brown. You know, uh, we moved him down a few spots, but not a lot. I still think AJ Brown's a really solid pick in the second round, mid late second round. I think AJ Brown's a really, really solid pick. I'm worried about Julio's health. I, I don't, uh, you know, Julio's been going in the fourth round. I'd be shocked if he played more than 12 games this year. And, and as you said, he's a guy who goes out there and plays and it's hard to tell what percent he's at. Often he could be at like 50% and you don't know it until after the game and it's really tough spot to be in. And so, uh, you know, I try to catch guys on the upslope of their career. And and I think Julio is very, very clearly on the downside. Um, So yeah, I think AJ Brown's fine and I I don't really have much Julio. 
I don't feel comfortable when I disagree with you. And I don't feel comfortable when I disagree with Evan Silva. And I know that both of you, I think like Nick Chubb, less than market, maybe a lot less mm-hmm. than market. And yeah, I'm pro Chubb. And my feeling is this. I love the offensive line. I think it's going to be a plus defense. I think this team is going to be in the playoffs again. I look at their division. Baltimore's good. Not, not without some flaws, but good. I think Ben isn't only in the back nine of his career. I think he's on the 18th hole and he's putting out. I mean, I think this is it for Ben Roethlisberger. And they, they really haven't fixed their offensive line. And the Bengals, I'll believe it when I see it. I would love nothing more than Joe Burrow to be great, for Chase to be great. I'm, I'm going to draft a lot of Tyler Boyd, as I always do. T. Higgins was a hit last year as a rookie. But I don't know how they're going to protect Burrow. I think the Bengals just have another five-win season coming down the pike. So Cleveland finally got the coach right, I think, with Stefanski. I'm not sure Mayfield's ever going to be really a star, but at least he's solid. And this is a team that's you know, tried to make do with some really lousy quarterbacks. So, yeah, does Chubb have to share with Kareem Hunt? Of course. I think Kareem Hunt may be living a little bit off that rushing title he won with Kansas City. Andy Reid came in perfect time, ambushed the league, and went ballistic, went ham on the Patriots that first game. But you know, last year you look at the efficiency. Chubb was so much better than Hunt. And I know that Hunt's not going to go away. And you guys have talked about the idea that, you know, Hunt just doesn't have those 27 for 175 games. I mean, he usually taps out at about 18 to 20 rushes and he doesn't get a lot of passes, but the efficiency is so great. And the game script is likely to be positive for them so often. I just think he's getting extremely high floor. I think he's already got double digit touchdowns in the bank and maybe I'm wish casting this, but I wonder at some point if push comes to shove, if the Browns don't realize, Hey, you know, Chubb's a star Hunt's just kind of a good player. Maybe we need to lean into Chubb a little bit. I, I know it's probably a mistake to bake that into my rankings or into ADP, you know, adjustments and stuff like that. But to me, Nick Chubb is a perfectly fine first round pick. And I, I know you guys are kind of cool on him. Explain your side of the Nick Chubb argument. Yeah. So, I mean, it, Nick Chubb has a very similar profile to Derrick Henry. The only difference is that Derrick Henry is not losing carries to anyone. I mean, Derrick Henry is getting 30, 35 carries a game. Nick Chubb last year had one game with 20 I'd uh, start two games with 20 or more carries rest of the time he was in the teens. And, and so, you know, it, it's tough for me on a guy who can, who does not catch passes at all. And Nick Chubb caught 16 balls all of last year to also split carries. And then you're relying on insane efficiency. Can he do, can he average six yards a carry and score a touchdown on like, you know, every 10 carries or something crazy like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's possible. It's not something I want to bet on in, in round one. Now, Nick Chubb could be another freak outlier, and I'm not ready to admit it yet, but that would be the case for me against against Nick Chubb. And similarly, you know, I think kind of profiles similarly to J.K. Dobbins, except you can get J.K. Dobbins two rounds later or so, as you can Nick Chubb. Yeah, one team I struggle with is the Broncos, because I look at their depth chart. Cortland Sutton, super talent. I thought Jerry Judy had a better rookie year than, than maybe a lot of people realize. Yeah, he dropped the path, passes a lot, but that's the type of thing I never worry about. J- Jerry Judy is twitchy. He's really difficult to cover. I can't get that 90-yard touchdown he scored against the Raiders out of my head in Week 17. I, I also can't get the 17 parlay that I ripped up because Nick Fangio didn't know how to finish the game out. But I think Judy can be a special player. Noah Fan, first-round tight end into his third season. Melvin Gordon has been a quality player in his NFL career. He's probably, again, on the back nine of his career. They moved up to draft Williams, so I, I wonder – what to make of that backfield. All these offensive guys who interest me, even the guys who aren't going to play, Tim Patrick probably won't play a lot. He's talented. KJ Ham- Hamler's an interesting guy. But then they have Drew Locke, who is, is just like a turnover and a bad decision waiting to happen. And if you want all the 
all the safest decisions you can get. If, if you want the guy wearing you know the two raincoats, that's probably Teddy Bridgewater. What are you avoiding the Broncos? How do we handle a team with all this talent, but a coach I don't think we like and quarterbacks I don't think we can trust. I'm not really sure who's ahead in that quarterback battle. If you've been following that closely, give me a sense of where Adam Levitan is on with the Broncos right now. I actually think that for fantasy, Drew Locke is fine. You know, he's not good in real life, but man, he's aggressive and he he throws the ball down the field. And like, it's crazy how much more a vertical target, the deeper down you go down the field, much more it's worth than an underneath target for your wide receivers. I, I was taking so much Jerry. I love Jerry Judy. I mean, I, I think Cortland Sutton that you're asking a lot. I, I thought Jerry Judy was a better prospect anyways. And then you add in Cortland Sutton's torn ACL. And so for a while, Sutton was going ahead of, Jerry Judy, I understand that. That's since flipped, but I absolutely love Jerry Judy. I think Javante Williams is will end the year as the feature back for the Broncos. Starting the year, it will be Melvin Gordon, though. And so it's tough to rank a guy like that. Like, you may not be able to use Javante Williams early in the year, but I'm pretty convinced by the end of the year, you're going to want to have Javante Williams. So I'm okay with him when you can get him later, you know, around seven, around eight or so. You know, I, that no offense, uh, I think it's fine. It's going to be like every other of these back end tight ends where he has some like three for 30s and maybe he he shows up sometimes for like six for 90, but you're just so far behind when you have no fans. Someone else has Waller, Kittle, or Kelsey. And so I try not to go that route too often. But yeah, as far as the quarterback competition right now, I think the market has a Drew Locke like minus 130 or so. And that sounds about right, like a slight favorite to Drew Locke to open week one right now. Certainly played really, really well. Uh, in the first preseason game for whatever that's worth. I, I haven't done any legwork on this, and maybe somebody has. Maybe somebody at ETR has already done this. But last year we saw the rookie running backs generally as a group didn't do a lot early, and then so many of them played so much better after their bye week. And, and I wonder if there's just something logical to that. You talked about maybe Williams could be a difference maker in Denver in the second half of the year. And I, I think about somebody like DeAndre Swift. He's another guy I struggle with because I don't like his offense. I, I think Anthony Lynn's a heck of a guy. I, I don't really like Anthony Lynn in charge of offensive players I care about. We, we saw how he tried to derail the Chargers. And, man, I'm, I'm excited about the, what the Chargers can do with the new coaching staff. Um, I want to get your stance on Swift this year. And also, is it maybe the new normal that we should be looking for rookie running backs to pop after their bye week or, or after they get their feet wet a little bit? It used to be I felt like these guys could be more plug and play. Do you think a delayed pop – for young running backs makes sense. And are you worried like I am that a talented DeAndre Swift may not get the proper usage or workload in Detroit? There is a ton of data on that. And you're absolutely right. You can see like, if you plotted a graph of like points over expectation for running back, rookie running backs, they just starts to go up towards the end of the year. And it's just like a very clear straight line. I mean, it's an absolute no brainer and it makes sense. Of course, you know, later in the season, they might start behind the veteran the coaches either realize the veteran is worse or the veteran gets hurt you know and that's just it just is what it is and so at the running back position we know we're going to see a ton of that DeAndre Swift we saw it last year DeAndre Swift has the profile of a running back who can be like a top five option again a guy who could not saying it's likely who could actually catch 90 passes in a season and run for a thousand yards like there just aren't that many guys in the league who can do that and so you see when guys do it like Kamara or CMC or whatever, they absolutely break the entire game. Like, you have to have them to win. Will he do it on a Detroit team, which is going to be one of the worst teams in the league? Really, really unlikely, especially when, as you said, Anthony Lynn is going to dunk it into Jamal Williams a ton. Um, so I think DeAndre Swift, people overreacted too much to that quote about 
Jamal Williams being the 1A and DeAndre Swift being the 1B. I think people overreacted to that. And for a while, DeAndre Swift was going in like the fourth round. If I wanted a running back in the third round, which I typically don't, but if I did, I'm okay with DeAndre Swift. And if he gets to the fourth, I think DeAndre Swift is is a pick, just especially in half PPR, full PPR, like fits the profile of what I want. Let me talk about some offenses that have crowded situations where I think it can be hard to decipher who the best value is or how to attack it. I look at Tampa Bay. They just won Super Bowl. They brought all their starters back on offense, all their starters back on defense. But, man, it's pretty crowded. Antonio Brown's there. They have Chris Godwin from your beloved uh, PSU team. Uh, he's there. Um, you know, when has Mike Evans ever let you down? I mean, the, the guy's had a great career, but you know he's, he's getting older into his 30s now, I believe 29 or 30. He's there. They have tight ends who can catch the ball. They have a couple of different running backs who may get usage. Who is the receiver, if anybody, on this Buccaneers team that you're most likely to roster in a seasonal league? Yeah, I, I haven't really been taking any. I, I, a bunch of the ETR guys really like Antonio Brown's kind of standalone value. And then if something happened to Godwin or Mike Evans, Antonio Brown would obviously go ham. I, you know, I, I think it's okay. I think the Bucks are so good that it's not the same as it was when Jameis was with the Bucks. You don't get into these wild, wild games. I haven't taken any of them, really, to be honest. Um, I haven't been taking any of them. And it pains me because I do love Chris Godwin. I think he's a great dude. And obviously, shout out to Penn State. And I think he's a very good player. And I think Mike Evans is a very good player, too. It's just tough. Like you said, it's really, really crowded. And, and a lot of these games, they're just so good. They're not going to have a ton of attempts, I don't think. Which, if any of the Bengals receivers, are you most likely to maybe put a chip on? I think that it would be Boyd at ADP would be my favorite. Then Chase. Then Higgins. Chase, I mean, Chase's ADP has gotten a little bit out of control, though. I mean, I've seen you can't really get Jamar Chase in tougher formats past the fourth round right now. And that, that's probably a little bit too steep. I feel like in home leagues, people are going to be like, I'm not taking a Bengals rookie, you know. And so you might be able to get him in the fifth or sixth round. That would be a smash for me on Jamar Chase. But yeah, I've, you know, obviously concerns. I think Bengals offensive line is going to be better. We talked about that with Brandon. I think the offensive line is going to be better and they have the potential to be better. Uh, even better than what we have them at right now. But Burrow's knee stuff is scary. You know, it wasn't just an ACL. He blew out his MCL, had other damage also. So there's definitely some some risk there with the Bengals for sure. I won't limit you to just receiver. You can give me a running back if you want. I think the Jaguars offense is fascinating. I don't know if Urban Meyer is going to be a good NFL coach. And some of the things he said, if you take him at face value, it make me wonder that he might be a donkey. But, yeah. man, they just drafted the number one overall quarterback. They spent a lot of capital on ETN, running back who catches the ball. James Robinson came out of nowhere for a different regime, but he was really good last year. And they have a lot of talent in their receiver room. Is there a Jaguar that you're excited about? Or just how do you see the market for those guys? And who can you recommend? Who can you give the uh, Levitan seal of approval for on this roster? Yeah, I thought the Chark injury was interesting because Chark was already someone that I was a little bit worried about. Doesn't seem like, you know, Urban Meyer inherited him and doesn't seem like Urban Meyer liked him too much. Um, So I thought the injury there was interesting. He's going to miss the entire training camp, which isn't great. With a rookie quarterback, in terms of the receivers, I think that it would be my favorite be LaVisca Chenault. I mean, by far, you know, just really good college profile. And then also LaVisca Chenault. Um, going to be in that kind of slot plus range playing that part of the field where like Juju had that really big season and we've seen other guys have really big seasons from there. So I like that. Etienne is interesting. You know, I think they're going to use James Robinson. I think they're going to use Carlos Hyde. I, it's crazy to me to use first round draft capital on a running back and then not give him the ball a lot. But I agree with you that Urban Meyer looks like just a total donkey and maybe Daryl Bevel can do something about that. 
Etienne is the kind of player, though, again, you know, this pass catching profile at the running back position, if he can even get like 120 carries, 140 carries and catch 50 balls. I mean, that's insanely valuable. And I think that's definitely possible. Jaguars have a really soft schedule to start. And I think Trevor Lawrence is going to come out and play well right out of the gate. Offensive line is very good, I think underrated. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'd be excited about Chenault and, and I'm fine if I need running back in round six or something like that. And it's half PPR, full PPR. I'm fine with, with Etienne also. Man, I really do love grinding those early schedules. I, I think fantasy's often best played with a microscope and not a telescope. Let's talk about what we know in front of us and, and maybe not look too far ahead with you know, the caveat that there could be some outlier examples I, we talked about the Niners earlier. I think maybe it's merited to do it there. Uh, you always seem to have a good finger on the pulse of the Eagles Another one of your your PSO, PSU boys, uh, Miles Sanders, is, is there. I've been waiting for him to pop. It hasn't happened yet. This is a fascinating team because they have an athletic mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts. I'm not sure if he's any good or not. He could be a really good player for fantasy. They obviously drafted a receiver in the first round, a Heisman Trophy winner. A lot of people like Dallas Goddard, but Zach Ertz is still there for some reason. So I'm not sure. I, I feel like I should have more crystallized takes on the Eagles, and, and I really don't. So let me throw it over to you. Uh, what do you make of this Eagles offense for fantasy? Yeah, well, I would also say that, I mean, I've heard that it's likely that the Eagles want Deshaun Watson. Like, you know, it seems, I mean, there's been many reports on this. Like, there's a ton of smoke around that. Will he be suspended? Will they get the deal done? I don't know. But obviously, if Deshaun Watson went there, all these guys' ADPs would spike. So I I think there's room for profit on the Eagles, guys. It's tough. I think Boston Scott's going to play. I think that Jordan Howard or On Johnson, one of those guys, is going to play. And not early, but maybe eventually Kenny Gainwell plays on early downs. I think Kenny Gainwell's role to start the year is going to be really muted. But I, t- I think Miles Sanders end of round four where he's been going. I-, I take that. I mean, bet on talent. And this offensive line can be top 10 in the league. Now they're getting Lane Johnson back, Bucky Brooks back. So I like that one for sure. Devontae Smith scares me. I mean, there's been almost no wide receivers under 175 pounds to really be elite in fantasy. It scares me, but Devontae Smith was incredible in college, uh, obviously. I, I just took Jalen Rager in like round 14 in a draft, I, in a slow draft I was doing just now. I don't like it, but I mean, everybody's given up on Jalen Rager, so I'll take him in round 14. And I've been out on Goddard. You know, I, I think that Jalen Hurts is scary to take Goddard when you can have somebody like Higby or something like that instead. And uh, the Zach Ertz risk is just, it's just massive. I mean, if Zach Ertz actually stays on this team, which I don't know if he will, but if he actually stays on this team, it's, it's not good for Dallas Goddard. Yeah, let's talk about, let's get some ADP approved Leviton fades and targets. We'll, we'll start at tight end just because you mentioned Higby. Let's just assume that you're in a room for whatever reason, you can't get one of the vanity tight ends. So there's no Kelsey for you. There's no Waller for you. There's no Kittle for you. Uh, give me a tight end you think you'll be probably uh, more interested in than ADP and, and a tight end that you're likely to fade. I take Tyler Higby uh, where I can. You know, I, I, people probably remember that last like five game stretch of the 2019 season where he had like four 100 yard games and, and a bunch of eight catch games. I mean, tight ends just don't do that. And so Tyler Higby can do it. We know Gerald Everett's gone. We know Matthew Stafford's a massive upgrade on. Uh, Jared Goff. And so I've been taking a ton of him. I still like Logan Thomas plenty. I like Irv Smith uh, plenty. I think the Tyler Conklin stuff's been overstated. Fades, I haven't, I haven't taken Goddard. I haven't taken any of the Patriots guys. I think Ferkser and Troutman are both uh, overrated. I think their roles are going to be uh, not what people think they will be. I know they're cheap 
And so my my favorite kind of late round guy has been Cole Komet. But yeah, you know, I I, I think that if it gets, if, if, like you said, if a scenario happens where I don't get one of the top three, I think Higby, Logan Thomas, Irv, stuff like that is fine. I'll admit, I, I was the sucker who thought what Higby did in 2019 had signature significance. And I'm like, well, maybe the genie's just out of the bottle now. And no, no, the genie was very much back in the bottle last year. And I, I got no mileage out of that. But yeah. now that Everett's gone and now that Sean McVay probably ha- finally has a quarterback he can trust. I, f- I feel like he was just visibly upset at, at Goff during games. I mean, Goff threw an interception so bad at Seattle last year that Troy Aikman criticized it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's how bad it got for Goff <laughs> at the end of his regime with the Rams. So I, I'm certainly with you. I'm curious to see what Higby can do with an expanded role this year. Let's get some running running back courses where we, you know, we, we want to be right at running back. If you get the running backs right, you can probably figure out the rest of it. Uh, give me one or two targets for you at ADP and then a couple of Levitan fades at running back. Yeah, I take Aaron Jones so much because, you know, I was taking Aaron Jones uh, before. I thought Aaron Rodgers was always coming back. So I was taking Aaron Jones in, in round two. Now I take Aaron Jones in round one where I have to. I think that with Jamal Williams gone, you can see the Camara s kind of pass catching role for Aaron Jones. Plus, we know how good he is as a runner. So I, I take Aaron Jones a lot. Uh, also kind of near the top, I think Daryl Henderson, like, if Cam Akers never existed, Daryl Henderson would be going so high. And so, you know, we have kind of anchored to this, oh, well, Cam Akers was supposed to be the feature back. Now he's not. How high can I take Daryl Henderson? I mean, Daryl Henderson fits the profile of explosive player, a team which is going to be very, very good, team which wants to run around the goal line, player which can really play well in the pass game. And so I, I like Daryl Henderson. I, you know, I've been taking him in round four plenty. And, and even after the acres injury, I mean, people were like, well, I don't know if he's around five pick. I don't know if he's around. I mean, that's crazy. I, mean, I think Daryl Henderson fits the profile. If we never heard about acres, uh, he would fit the profile of like around two pick. You can still get him in like round four. And, and maybe a running back or two that you're, we know Chubb isn't, isn't the guy you're high on. for. for oh yeah. But I mean, all these guys, I, I have under bets on so many of these guys. I, I never take Mike Davis. I never take Miles Gaskin. I never take Chase Edmonds, I never take Raheem Mostert, I never take Josh Jacobs, and uh, I, ne- I rarely take Dave Montgomery or Chris Carson. I, I never take J.K. Dobbins. Like all these guys in this range, I just, I just never take. I, I think that so reliant on projected volume, which is not nearly as secure uh, as people think that it is. And and I'm taking wide receiver, quarterback there over all these guys for sure. Give us a wide receiver target and a wide receiver fit. Yeah, let me think on wide receiver. I like, well, I mean, the cat's out of the bag on CeeDee Lamb and Terry McLaurin. Like, I think their ADP is probably about right right now. I think Calvin Ridley's going to have a massive year. His ADP is probably about right, too, by this point. I think Ayuk is good. I think Odell Beckham uh, is good. I mentioned Tyler Boyd and Jerry Judy already. I think those are both awesome, awesome picks i think it gets thinner after that though you know i think people overstate how deep they think wide receiver is actually you know once you get past like maybe mm, 70 or 80th overall i think it really starts to thin out at wide receiver people overstate the kind of players that they can get so i'm trying to get four or five wide receivers before it gets to pick 90 or so i think is right and yeah taking those guys like jerry judy um, Odell Beckham, Tyler Boyd, Chase Claypool, like those, that's the range that like I want uh, to be pounding wide receiver for sure. Yeah, I think that's a really great idea. And my, my goal with any managed league is I want receivers who start themselves. I don't want to be, 
I don't want to have to guess of it. Look, I think Jacoby Myers is a perfectly fine depth pick, but I don't want to sit there thinking, okay, is this the week where Jacoby Myers has a seven for 105 game? I don't want to play that guessing game. I want my top three, top four, top five receivers to be so good that I'm starting them every week, it, knowing that they're going to produce enough in the over the long haul, rather than just trying to play whack-a-mole with guys. You know, like Nelson Aguilar last year is one of these guys who had a perfectly fine season if you added it all up and ranked him. But if you had to actually call the shot ahead of time, it was really difficult to do. And I don't know how you could have possibly gotten that right enough times to make it worth your while. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, winning the flex is like a big thing. And, you know, when you have these running backs that are losing their role, if, you know, Mike Davis loses his role to Quadri Allison or whatever, and all of a sudden you're just losing the flex every week when you could have had a stud wide receiver. It's just crazy. I noticed we don't have to give away everything here because obviously ETR is a subscription site, but you came out with an article a while ago about some of your player props for the season. And I noticed a lot of the plays were under, and I just feel like, I think this might've been something Rufus Peabody talked about. Just a lot, a lot of the sharp players are going to be playing unders a lot of the time. Can you speak to why that is? And I, look, I know maybe it's just these, these numbers are put out with more optimism baked in them. And, and I know it's, it's frustrating that you really can't, you probably don't have very high limits that you've proven to be a winning player with player props. So it's not going to be something you can you know, maybe put your kids through college through because they, they don't want you to, they don't want to take big action from Levitan on the player props. But is there a reason why we're usually going under on these things? Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, they can't make them low enough. Like they, it's just because they're just going through and doing projections just like we are, but they we're projecting for a 17 game season. You know, it's tough for them to factor in injury rates. I mean, my God, it takes one injury and the under is a lock, you know, a guy misses three weeks and all of a sudden, he almost can't get there. What if they sign someone? What if a coach decides in the middle of the season to rest a guy? And with this extra game in the season, I think there's going to be more people getting rested than usual now that we have a 17-game regular season. Uh, what if just simply like with the Gaskin stuff, you know, I had a bet on Gaskin under before even all this Malcolm Brown stuff came up. I had under 850 and a half yards, which sounds low for starting running back, I understand. But I mean, there's so many paths for it to go under. And so, yeah, I bet like, 37 or 38 player props uh for the season and i think like 35 of them are under and also you know you get into mean versus median stuff and i don't want to get into too nerdy you know stuff here but using a mean is really dangerous because when a wide receiver goes off for 250 yards with this outlier game it drags up his mean but that doesn't matter you know we don't lose more on our prop bet because he went for 250 yards one game you really want to be looking at median when you're talking about prop bets. And so I think the books often fail to do that. They're often just like, hey, I'll take a guy's average and I'll put a lineup and that's gotta be good. It's not good. You know, the median is, is what they should be looking at. Totally agree on that. The wisdom of Adam Leviton, one of the co-founders over at Establish the Run. He's been our guest today on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Adam, tell our listeners how they can keep up with you and get in on what's going on at ETR. Yeah, you just follow me on Twitter at Adam Levitan, uh, all one word, and then go to the site, establishrun.com. You know, we have uh, everything we think you need to win in season long. And then uh, for DFS, whether you played DFS before or not, I think we can help and we'll have really comprehensive and hopefully easy to digest uh, stuff to give you a chance. And one of my favorite follows, just giving you, I think common sense is the most important skill a fantasy player can have. And you're getting so much of that when Adam tweets. So he's not, he's not maybe the highest volume tweeter. He can keep some of this stuff to himself, but uh, all the secrets are spilled over at ETR. It's a highly recommended subscription site and something I've been, I've been proud to subscribe up from day one to, to get in on uh, you know, his, his intelligence and wisdom and, and Evan and Leone and Thorman, just a lot of 
smart guys over there. If you want to get social with us at Yahoo, Scott underscore Pianowski is my handle, the Yahoo fantasy handle, of course, for all things general fantasy. And just a reminder, our man, Andy Barons, he's our Monday skipper of this ship, and he'll be taking questions live at 1 p.m. Eastern on Monday on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook. If you want to be part of the live stream slash podcast that he does, it will come out as a podcast version delivered to you Tuesday morning. But uh, you'll get over to Andy, ask him as many questions as you can, ask him questions about life, ask him questions about you know whatever it is you need to. By the way, Adam is another guy you can ask life questions. And one of my favorite things he does is that solo pod. You can ask you know Adam the most silly question you want. You can ask him a question about going to your prom, ask him a question about about dogs, about about diet, about you know, buying a new house, basketball, prop bets. Uh, he's, he's always happy to spill some wisdom there. A long time ago, he was a, a poker player of some repute. Um, yeah, I love it. Every once in a while, I ask him a poker question. He generally doesn't take my questions, but every once in a while, he answers one. We appreciate that. So for Adam, he's been a great guest today. For Producer John, I am Scott Pianowski. We'll be back tomorrow with the Andy Barron's experience. I hope you check that out. Until then, get on Yahoo, do some drafting, draft some Penn State players, maybe not some long We are out. Here.